I want to focus really on a, a board and um, their contribution to quality and how regulators may help and may not help us. And um, I also sit on a board that's regulated by the Financial Services Authority. And it's been really interesting to look, because the financial services haven't had such a pretty history, of course, over recent years either, at some of the ways that they operate and some things that work well in that sector, which I think perhaps we could learn from in the health sector. But my first point really is to say, I feel my primary responsibility as chair of a trust is not to regulate us. And actually that's a very obvious thing to say, but it isn't a very obvious thing to feel. And I think going into a trust from a health authority, I was quite struck by the fact that uh, the amount of energy that was expended trying to satisfy Mm. regulators, which actually undermined quality. And my primary responsibility as chair of a board is to make sure that we deliver the best possible care to our patients on a sustainable basis and that we support the staff who are providing it. Because I don't provide any care at all. And so it's what I do that impacts on quality that I need to take responsibility for. And we have quite a lot of evidence about what helps to improve quality within service organisations. Three very clear things that are responsibilities for boards are to have a very clear strategy that will deliver what is our core purpose. And being very clear about what that core purpose is, I think, is is a primary responsibility for the board. It's not about just hitting the money, which is problem with with mid-staffs. It's also about quality. We need some very clear lines and means of accountability within the organisation that's informed, that's fair, that matters a lot to staff, and that promotes a learning organisation, not just generates fear. And then that leads on to, excuse me, generating a culture which makes high quality care most likely. And I think a lot of that comes down to leadership behaviours and how we communicate to governors, to staff of all sorts, to patients, to partners and to commissioners, as well as to regulators. And I think the focus on the quality of care, the humanity of care and how we create a positive work climate really matters. And there's some really good evidence that's come from the staff surveys and the patient surveys that the CQC collect and publish which tell us a great deal about the importance of things like clear objectives for all staff and all teams, very high levels of appraisal and relevant training. And we know that increases discretionary effort by well over a quarter, in some cases up to a third, where feedback is fair and accurate to individual members of staff and to teams, where you you can get an increase in discretionary effort of up to 39%. So it solves your money as well as solving your quality. And an investment, a consistent investment on building trust. And that's not to try and close down awkward questions. It's so that awkward questions may be raised without fear of reprisal. So all of those things Dawson and West identified as being the drivers of staff engagement, which in turn are the drivers of high quality, good financial management and high patient satisfaction. So we know what to do. And I think around that, we need to add ways of generating stories which make that real and live for people and make people believe that that's what we're trying to do. So things like Schwartz Round have been mentioned already. Time for reflection, very hard when you're very busy, but if you make it, you get the investment back in spades, I would suggest. 
And having staff as well as patients come to the board and tell us what it's really like to work there. We've got a governor, I think, coming to our next board meeting, a staff governor, who has a very interesting story to tell about what it's like working in our organisation. So investing in clear, the clarity of the purpose, in collecting stories which tell that we really do believe that, in holding people to account for what are very clear expectations and then supporting them to deliver against those expectations is, is, is the key. So how can quality regulation help us? Well, I have to say it's improved a lot over the past four or five years. And I would endorse what Cynthia says, that things have got a lot better in terms of the engagement. And some of that you've seen reflected in things like the quality surveillance groups, which are now being talked about in, uh, in some of the National Quality Board's work. Although I have a criticism about that, which I'll come back to. But I think as well as for organisations... Um, for regulators, then clear standards, a transparent process of accountability, and an approach which supports a culture of improvement, so not tells us how to improve, but supports a culture of improvement, is a really important part of the interface between regulators and organisations delivering care. I'd like it to be risk-based, nuanced for different organisations. One of the problems with a national service is that Organisations of different sorts have a whole blanket set of standards that they have to meet, some of which don't fit quite right. And it's not regulation yet, but you know, this net promoter score is fine if you're in an acute service where if, if you ask the questions at the right time in the right way, which is a bit of a, a nuance which uh, can twist the results quite significantly, you can expect people to tell you something that, matter, that mean, is meaningful. You ask people who've been sectioned under the Mental Health Act about whether they would recommend it as a service to their family and friends, then you're going to get a very different set of answers. That's an extreme example, but there are a number of smaller things like that. So those nuances, I think, would help us. Talking about the FSA, they come out on arrow visits, so-called, and those arrow visits are either you know, after one year, after two years, after three years, or after four years, if you're really good boys and girls, and they're not very worried about you. And that gives you an indication of how uh, robust your systems are. They can come back unannounced any time. But they also interview people with significant influence functions. So a lot of the people around the board table would have significant influence functions, and a number of people at a second tier who might be the senior risk manager or the chief accountant they would interview them. And they're not just looking for the technical processes that we follow, they're also looking for us at, at us at, as individuals. What drives us? What sort of words do we use in describing how we do and why we do it? Does that stack up with what other people are saying? Does this create a sense of a board and an organisation that know what, knows what it's about and has agreed how it's going to do it? And I think a closer relationship with boards, between boards and regulators particularly a sort of relationship manager that was skilled enough not to get too close and could be the um, sort of cynical, critical friend, but also got that understanding about the motivations and the culture in an organisation, I think, would help us. And for that, you have to focus on the qualitative as well as the quantitative. And that really matters because it's the, the story, the narrative about what we're doing for patients that I think will help us all to improve. And just an example of that, the abortion visits that you will have read about in the press recently, um, they came out looking at the legal requirements. Had we filled in this form and signed it off at the right time and were, was everything correct legally? We tried to talk to the people. It's a women's hospital, so we do do some abortions, particularly for disability or, or um, pregnancies that can't survive to term. 
And we wanted to talk to them about the quality of care that the patients are receiving, and that is beyond the brief. And I just think that the way that regulators behave in that environment matters because, again, it reinforces the story that it's the patient's experience as well as the technical process that matters. And then another thing that the FSA do for people with significant influence functions, my board may recommend for appointment uh, an executive or non-executive director, but they can't confirm that appointment until the FSA have said yes. And I think in the new environment we're going into where governors are making the appointments of non-executive directors and ratifying the appointments of executives, um, unless you've got some very experienced governors, how are they going to know that they're putting the right people around that table that can have such a significant influence on organisations? And as a non-exec on a financial services board, what that does for me is make me very aware that there's somebody just sitting over my shoulder checking upon me. And that's not inhibiting, it's distant enough, but it's, it's, it, it just adds another bit of energy and driver into me thinking about what the regulator might think. Because if they come and say, you're no longer a fit and proper person, and most of it's about, have I been made bankrupt in the last year? Um, so things that I'm not too worried about. Uh, but, but that just means that every year I have to fill in this form and sign it, which makes me aware. But it would also give governors some comfort because... I think the right people with the right attitude deliver the right outcomes in the majority of cases, and that right attitude matters a lot. So what hinders in terms of regulators? Too slow, too secretive, doesn't look at the narrative which would help connect the different organisations together, and playing like bad cop or hard cop and catch you out rather than people who are helping us to focus attention on what, on what makes the most improvement encouraging governors or the public or staff to sidestep the board as a first port of call. But if we don't listen, then absolutely we deserve to be whistleblown. And then the measures that are too complex. Things like governors found it really confusing at a recent board when some of the measures of quality seemed to go down when actually they were telling the story that quality had improved. And so it's having a coherent set of measures where people can see on a graph, if everything's going up, we're doing all right. If everything's going down, we're not. So that people who don't have the training, such as some governors don't, find it helpful and easy to read. So fear drives complicity with poor care or over-reporting of risk. And I think in thinking about the culture and what we're trying to do, what we have to do is generate that confidence that what really matters is the quality of care. Everybody has a comment and a contribution to make about that. And somehow, if we can keep generating that and the belief that that's what matters, then we will have high quality. And staff will feel supported to do that at the front line. Boards can make sure that it happens. And the regulators can um, do a very easy job.